So it's great to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at the wedding at Cana. I'm going to be sharing a bit about that. Um, so we're going to read there this morning. And this morning I want to encourage you to climb into the pages. It's one of these passages where you can really get in there and climb into its pages and picture yourself. Pick up a character and think, yeah, I'll be them. And just imagine, bring it to life if you can. I know for some of you that's hard. You might not be um, imaginative or be able to be um, that way minded. But if you can, try and get involved. In it. And I think it helps bring it alive and it makes it a bit more fun. And I've been doing that this week. <laughs> so the wedding at Cana. So let's just read it together. Who would like to give out Bibles? Thomas, go on. So if you don't have a Bible with you, please put up your hand. Thomas will come around and give it out. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that as a gift. We'd love everyone to have a Bible in their home if you don't already have one. So we're looking at John 2, verses 1 to 12. So it's at the back of the Bible. I don't think this is the same as the ones you've got, but maybe if someone's got it, they might shout out the number if they've got the... This is like 1,065. Eight, one something. 800. 800. It's like bingo. 180. <laughs> no, 800. Okay. So, John 2, 1 to 12, and I'll just read it. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they are filled to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum where his mother and brothers and his disciples, there they stayed for a few days. Cool. I love a wedding. Who here loves a wedding? Who here loves a Kaylee? We do good Scottish weddings, don't we? We do good Kayleys in Scotland. So reading this Bible... Um, Reminded me a wee bit about weddings. I was thinking of some of the weddings that we've been to. We've been to some fun weddings over the years. And we're coming up for 10 years married this year. Woo, I know, we're doing well. Um, for some of you, that's not a lot. Um, but yeah, while reading this passage, it was re I was reflecting back on that day. And we had a great day. The sun was shining. You're always worried about the weather and things like that. And at that time, we were living in Aberdeen, and we were planning the wedding to be in Inverness. So I, we kind of, me and my mum kind of did most of the organising of the wedding. Um, Thomas, I don't even think he knew the colour of the bridesmaids. He, he just knew very little. As long as the food and the music was okay, he was not wanting, he was happy, kind of thing. So it was all a bit of a surprise for him. Um, but we were allocated this hotel sort of... Um, 
coordinator who you would meet up with now and again and they would do a checklist with you and it was very serious and have you done a table plan and have you done all this sort of thing and they would check it all off because they had the experience of doing these things and we'd never done this kind of thing before so they kept you right with all of that so that nothing would go wrong and uh, we chose a cake we got Harry Gow's cake which was good that was important and everything went well and it was a lovely wonderful day and uh, just so many fond memories of it but um, after the wedding the only thing that that came back to bite us kind of was the wine so we were charged extra for the wine which we didn't realize so when people were at their tables and drinking their wine eating their meal as soon as they'd literally had a sip of their wine then the people behind them the waiters or waitresses were like filling it right up to the top so they knew what they were doing and then after a few weeks we're like oh that was lovely yeah I enjoyed our honeymoon and then we got this under bill oh there's a little extra for the wine there <laughs> that they were giving out so that was the only thing but I love that and sometimes there's those, um, what are they called, those programs where there's all these mistakes and you can get £300 back or something if you put in a video. You've been framed. Have you ever had a terrible confession? And they are really funny, but it's terrible if it is your wedding. But some of them are hilarious. And if you get off on a tangent, you can watch some of them later. <laughs> they fall into the river or something. They think, why did you do that? Why did you decide to get married on a log? Anyway, I do guys. It's really funny. But this uh, is a wedding we're going to look at this morning. And uh, let's climb into the pages. This was the first miracle in Jesus' life, in his ministry, that he shared. And I wonder why that was that he came. He was on a mission. He was on the biggest mission to save the universe, wasn't he? But yet, he was invited to a party, to a wedding, and he went. He took the invitation, and he attended the celebration. And for some of us, I think we think, um, for some people, they think God's a killjoy, don't they? They think that being a Christian is a bit dull, boring, we should all wear black, we should all look miserable, we should all mope about a bit, be very serious. I just want to say that's not true, that's not the case at all. Being a Christian is fun, it's alive. God speaks about having life and life in all its fullness, that's what he's come to bring. It's not dull and boring. Jesus got involved. He was at the party. In fact, he kept the party going, didn't he? Because he was like, oh, you've run out of wine. I'll keep the party going. So it was more than that. It was like, yeah, he was right in there. So yeah, we have permission to have a party. We have permission to enjoy ourselves and to be full of joy. And I felt like that was a word maybe for some of us this morning. Maybe we feel like we're not living out of that place of fullness, out of that place of joy. Maybe we're feeling that, that like, that's just slowly being like dwindling. And I feel like for some of us, God just wants to come alongside us. He's giving you an invitation to joy. He's giving you an invitation to life and life in all its fullness. He invites you to attend. So maybe later he wants to minister in that way. And Mary, she was just the same. So let's look at the story, what they said. The mother said to Jesus, they have no more wine. But Jesus responds, woman, why do you involve me? They've got no more wine. Mary was panicking a little bit. And that's quite similar. I don't know, most weddings I've been at, it's going all really well. And the mums look lovely and relaxed and happy. But there's that element of concern amongst the mums or the mums-in-law, isn't there? They've got that look about them that they're checking everything is all right and nothing will go wrong. And that was, that's the same at every wedding. It was the same there, and it's kind of the same now, which I think is hilarious. 
And we had a wonderful day um, together, me and my mum. It was like a mum and daughter day when she was going to get her outfit for our wedding. So we were in Aberdeen. She came through to Aberdeen and the sun was shining. We went shopping. It was lovely. And um, I made sure she got the biggest hat in the shop and the highest heels she would let me put on her. And uh, she looked absolutely beautiful as the Thomas's mum. But if you knew them really well, there was that element probably on their face of concern, just checking that everything was okay. And I actually found a really good picture. I don't know if I got it up when it came through. There we go. (laughs) Of the two mums looking absolutely stunning, but there's that look of, what? Is everything going okay? Is everything all right? And I think we were having the lineup at that point and everyone was milling around and they were trying to get everyone seated and I think they'd just come out and checking that everything's okay. So you can tell that mums on the day are checking that everything's okay. That's kind of in their nature. So Mary was just the same. She said to Jesus, they have no more wine. But what does Jesus say? He said, women, why do you involve me? I'm not sure what tone this is in. At first, when I read it, I thought, is this a rebuke? Sounds a bit harsh. But I know that Jesus is without sin. So I did a bit of looking into it. And actually, it's the same language that he used at the crucifixion. He said, when he was on the cross, woman, this is your son. He said to his mum, looking at John, John, this is your mother. And it's actually more of a, mum, I'm no longer under your supervision. I am listening to the Father's voice. I am working to a heavenly timetable. It was more that kind of language. Jesus was leaning into God, the Father. And I wonder, are we, are we leaning into his voice? Are we responding to other voices around us? And the reality of Jesus in that can bring a bit of tension. It can bring and will bring family family tensions at some times. But we have to tune in and be attentive to his voice. And I wonder how much we're listening this morning. I remember um, a funny story. Eleanor and I, we actually went to Guatemala many years ago. Um, I can't remember what year. A long time ago. (laughs) Um, but went to Guatemala on a mission trip together and I remember coming home um, I put my name in to be a potential person to go on this mission trip and my mum was doing the dishes and I said yo mum can I go to Guatemala on a mission trip and she was (laughs) yo mum I didn't say that but um (laughs) I don't know what it was like, but I was 17 and, or 16, and she was like, yeah, no problem, Mary, and she's doing the dishes, and that was fine, cool, I'm going to put my name down, so I put my name down, I'd asked her approval, that was fine, and lo and behold, we got picked, and I said, yeah, mum, I'm going on that trip to Guatemala, it'll be fine, we're going to go via New York and Texas, Eleanor's coming, she was like, what? I did not say this was okay. I said, you did. I asked you, you were doing the dishes. <laughs> and sometimes, and she's like, did you? Oh, gosh, did I say okay to that? Or maybe um, Thomas says, oh, while you're at the shops, could you get this if you're getting that? And I'll come back with the wrong thing and think, oh, I forgot. He said, I told you about that, did you? Oh, I wasn't listening. Or we say to kids all the time, don't we? Right, we're going in five minutes. Can you get your shoes on? Five minutes goes, ten minutes goes. Are the shoes on? No. Nobody's moved. And then, are you listening? And they are listening. They have heard. Because if you say to them, what did I just say? (laughs) They know what you've said, so they were listening, but they've not done it. And I think that can be the same for us, can't it? 
And Mary didn't know what Jesus was going to do in this situation. When she told him the problem, she didn't know that he was, what miracle he was going, if he was going to do a miracle. She didn't know. But she knew who Jesus was at this time. She knew this because she said, do whatever he tells you. Trust him. Her worry was filled with faith. She knew that Jesus was the son of God, so she submitted and surrendered her concerns to him. And if you're feeling frustrated, carrying burden or concern or worry, we need to remember who we're putting our trust into. We're putting our trust into the God of miracles here. The God who turned water into wine. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So that means he hasn't changed. Amazing. And then the servants were on the scene. It says... The jars of water were used for the Jews for purification, usually before each meal time, so it would have been to wash their hands to come clean to the table. And Jesus told the servants, go and fetch the jars and fill them up to the brim. These would have held a lot of water, probably um, says 20 to 30 gallons, so that's about 95 liters, and there were six of them, so a lot of water. Then he said, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Wow, have we entered into the story? Have we entered in? Are we now becoming one of the servants, drawing up the water, filling it up, taking it to the master of ceremonies or master of the feast? Can you imagine how scary they must have been? It would have cost them everything. If you're a servant, that was your livelihood. It wasn't, um, that would have cost you everything. That was your money. That was your status. And here you were getting told to bring water. At that time, that would have been not heard of. You would not have done that. But they did it. Did doubt creep in? Fear? They would have been terrified. They would have been full of fear. I love that little sentence in verse 8. So they took it. Yikes. It's short and sweet. They did it. Obedience. And it got me thinking, why didn't Jesus just do it himself? You know, he's God. He's Jesus. He could do it himself. Why didn't he just perform the miracle quietly and no one would have known about it? But he loves to choose people to get involved. He loves it when we can get in on it and see what he does. It's the awe and wonder of God. He's God and we're not. Imagine their faces. Imagine the shock and horror. Oh, it would have been amazing. It would have been epic. It would have been like, oh, I just hide the reaction. It's fine. It's wine. Fear coupled with faith unlocks the miraculous in God's kingdom. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It wasn't their responsibility to worry about it. It wasn't their responsibility to perform the miracle. It was just their responsibility to be obedient. And they were obedient and they did it. They took it. They were very quick at it. And sometimes I think we're often, we, we think too much about it. We wait too long to do it. We put it off, don't we? My dad's good like that. He always, he's one of these does it straight away people. So if he's on a mission to do something, he's going to deliver a parcel. There will be nothing 
no storm, no conversation too long that will stop him from delivering the parcel, from doing the job, from going and getting the milk, from emptying the bit. He does it there and then. He's a there and then kind of person. He doesn't give any thought. He gets it out of the way. And I think sometimes we think too much. We overthink it. We think, oh, we'll think about it a bit longer. We'll pray about it. When we know God's spoken, but they just did it. They took it. They did the thing. It wasn't their responsibility to worry. So these things are prepared in advance for us to do, it says in Ephesians. So God has gone before us. Even better, he's in the moment. We don't need to worry about what he's asking us to do. He's there. He's prepared that thing to do. Sharing our faith with a colleague. He's prepared in advance. Inviting that neighbor in for coffee. Writing that note of encouragement. Sending that gift voucher. Leaving flowers for someone. Giving our yes to a new adventure, stepping into new ministry that terrifies us, yet excites us. The miracle question, we've seen that on the streets, it's scary, it's terrifying, it's risk, it costs everything. But there's healing, we've seen breakthroughs and healing, we've seen people come to know Jesus. It's exciting, it's a place to be. I love that. As a church that we are stepping in to the, to the unknown, we're stepping out of our comfort zone, if you like. And we get to play. He lets us in. He longs to use us. And if you have a pulse this morning, you might want to check. (laughs) If you have a pulse, if you're alive and kicking and well, then you're created in Christ Jesus. You have good works to do, which Christ has prepared in advance for you to do. And just like Mary said, we need to do whatever he tells us. Whatever he's telling you this morning, we need to do it. Even when our pulse is racing, we need to do it. Even when our palms are sweating, we do whatever he tells us. Even if we don't think they care, we do whatever he tells us. Even when we don't have it all together, we do whatever he tells us. Even if we're a single mom, we do whatever he tells us. Even if we're not good with our words, we do whatever he tells us. Even if we've got a lot on our plate, we do whatever he tells us. Even if we have young children, we do whatever he tells us. Even if our children have left home, we do whatever he tells us. You get it? (laughs) What is he telling you? What is he telling us as a church? Faith is built in the face of fear. And then his kingdom breaks through. And so often we ignore these prompts. We know that this is speaking to us. But we ignore it. We need to do it immediately. Maybe we need to write it down. I'm one of those people that needs to write things down in my diary. I like to write it down and I've got a notepad for work. I need to write it down. I just like having that thing to tick off as well. That gives me like, great satisfaction. And maybe we need to put these things in the diary that God's talking to us about. That coffee with a friend or that chat with someone at work. We need to write them down and like star them. Do not move. Highlight them. Underline them. Do whatever it takes. Because we know that that is God speaking to us. And sometimes we move other things in our diary, don't we? And then we say, oh, God, I'm too busy, sorry. Diary's full now. Let's put what he's telling us to do as a priority. And the enemy is so cunning. He can help us shrug those things off easily. They're just optional extras. They're not important. And I need to get better at this as well. This, This has spoken to me. Stop putting things off that I know that God has given me a heart for. To make them a priority. To say yes to all that Jesus has arranged for me to do. 
Because when I realized that he died for me, I decided I wanted to live for him. And that doesn't mean that I get it right all the time, some things God's pushing me into, but for all of us, it looks like turning our ear to heaven. Just like Jesus, he said to his mum, Mother, my hour has not yet come. And we know there that he was pointing to his death on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice that was made. He was on a journey to the cross. And we know himself, he was fearful, wasn't he? He, he battled with that. He, you know, cried out to, to God the Father about that in his prayers. But in that um, stepping out in the fear It was the ultimate breakthrough, the ultimate sacrifice, eternal life through the cross, through Jesus, through his sinless, perfect life. We can enter into eternal life. And over the last few weeks, God's been speaking to me about faith in amongst fear as well. To have conversation with someone at work about faith that I know is just, he's put me there for that purpose. I've been putting it off. Well, that neighbor, we had a neighbor who recently, um, their house was on fire. So we were sitting in the living room and the boys were just um, sitting down. We were doing some stuff and I saw a fire engine go past and I kind of thought, oh, what was that? You know, you hear it and they think, oh gosh, it's in the street. There's a fire engine. Oh, another one, it was three now. Um, something must be going on. And um, it's that sort of fight or flight moment. And I don't know if you have it in you, but when you're a nurse, you have it in you and you run to the action. Da-da! Save the day, whatever it is. So I ran upstairs to see what was going on, if I could see anything. And I could see there was bellowing flames coming out of a house around the corner. And so I said to John, I said, I better go, there's a fire. <laughs> so I ran out, ran out, ran round. And I quickly realized it was a friend of Joshua's from nursery, his house. And they have three, three boys in that house. And my heart just sunk. I thought, oh, I could see the flames coming out of the attic now. And then I heard the mum coming out crying. And um, she just fell into my arms, sobbing and panicking. And I said, where are the boys? Are they okay? Are they out of the house? And um, one was at a neighbor's, one wee boy... Um, Joshua's friend was coming, so she said she was waiting for her husband to come home. So basically, the tumble dryer had blown up, and very quickly, the bedroom next door had gone on fire. The kitchen was on fire, and um, by that time, the firemen were there, and they were putting it out um, and attending to it. And we were able to take the wee boy in for the day. We were able to provide tea and coffee. We were able to help and just support, and since then, we're journeying a wee bit, and we've got to know each other, and we've been able to strike up a friendship, and it's amazing that God will use us. God's prepared things for us. These aren't just things. These aren't just coincidences. This isn't just um, a game. These are things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Good works. We have to be in it. We have to be in attendance. In the middle of our fears or anxieties. And I had a bit of revelation uh, recently with the verse. You know sometimes you read something in the Bible Maybe you're reading a verse, you've heard loads of sermons on it, and you know it, you know it really well. But then one day, God speaks to you in a different light about it, and you're like, whoa, I never saw that before. I love it when he does that, it's so cool. I shouldn't be that surprised, but... Hmm. Um, yeah, so in Psalm 23, one of my favorite Psalms, but in verse 5, I've read it loads of times, but it says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. So in the middle of our fears, God prepares a feast for us. In the middle of the wobbles, he has goodness for us. 
He always has goodness for us. We can experience fullness of God even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our pain. I wonder what your enemies are this morning or what you fear. The fear of being loved or accepted, fear of making a mistake, mucking up, stepping up, stepping out, public speaking. That used to be a big one for me. Let me tell you, your fear doesn't stand a chance today or any day. When you are a new creation in Christ, your fear has no chance. When we stand in his love, we accept his sacrifice on the cross, there is no place for fear. Often we read in the Bible times about a cupbearer as well, don't we? Someone who's paid to taste the wine before it's given out, usually in case it's been poisoned or something like that. But we don't read about it in this story. It was all or nothing. There was no just in case. There was no plan B, plan C or D for their lives. With God, it's all or nothing. Are we all in? And this water was just water. And it was turned into the most amazing wine. It would have been the best. But it was just water. And you might feel like, oh, just little old me, I don't have very much. I don't have much to bring or much to give. It's just me. Well, it's not about you. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. <laughs> Newsflash. It's a good place to be. We are putting our lives in God, the creator. He is master creator. There was nothing in Genesis. And then he created. There was nothing. He created light. He created darkness. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. He flung them into space. He created land, animals, plants, us. He's master creator. He can do anything. We just need to place it into his hands. Does anyone like cooking shows? Does anyone like Jamie Oliver? A bit of Jamie Oliver, like a bit of Jamie Oliver cooking shows. And um, his old ones, one of the ones he used to do a while back, was he would go into somebody's house on a random day and they wouldn't know he was coming, supposedly. And then he would um, look and see what was in their fridge and in their cupboards and then he would make a meal out of it. And he would be like, see, look what an amazing spread you could have made. And <laughs> he's supposed to be teaching the, the people how they can make things out of nothing and be more creative, save more money, eat better, and all of that. And I love that, 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 that he can do that. And he's got that skill and creative edge. And I think, oh, what could I do? <laughs> Give it a go. And <laughs> I'll keep trying, though. <laughs> keep trying. But God is a master creator. He can make um, something out of completely nothing. Literally, the fridge would be empty. God can do it. God can make all things. This was water, and he turned it into wine. This is God we're talking about. And then in verse 9, let's look at the wine and the fullness. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, 
everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the best till now. So basically at these weddings or celebrations at that time, you would give out the best wine first. And then once all your guests have had a bit too much to drink, you would drag out all the staff and no one would notice. <laughs> but this time, the master called the bridegroom over. This is amazing. Where did you get this? This is amazing stuff. And the bridegroom must have been like, I don't know. <laughs> I've just got married. I've just been dancing all night with my new wife. I don't know. Well, he didn't know. He shouldn't have been worried. When it's your wedding day, you shouldn't be worried about anything else but dancing and enjoying yourself. And when Jesus is at your party, you're having a good party. And it was the best of the best. It was wine fit for a king. It was lavish. It was overflowing. No Tesco uh, best, no savers or smart price here. We're talking about royalty. We're talking about the best. The servants filled the jars to the brim. They filled them right to the top. They were all in. They were up for it. They were obedient. And when Jesus comes to give us life, he gives us life in all its fullness. Can we say that together? Life in all its fullness. So it's life in all its fullness. Sometimes we have to remember that, live in that. And maybe if we're struggling with that, we need to ask Jesus to fill us again. To fill us to overflowing. We don't just have to be filled once and walk around with that for the rest of our days. We can go back to him. He's the God of more. He's the God of immersion more. He wants to pour out more on us. He's God. He longs. He delights in his children. He longs to pour out the goodness of God, the favor of God, the fullness of God. He longs to do that. And for some of us, we're maybe not able to do that because we don't realize the goodness of God. We don't realize who the God is, this God of miracles. He's not a stingy God. He doesn't put a little here and a little there. He's good. Every good, perfect gift comes from God. He's a good, good father. We sang about that this morning. I love that song. He's a good, good father. We can trust in him. He uses what we bring. Just a little water. Just a little load us. Whatever in our hands. When we bring it to him. When we allow fear to get a grip and don't step out. We're not obedient. We stop the fullness of God. But to see the fullness of God, we need to align ourselves to his will. We need to be obedient like those servants. We need to go and do. We realize the goodness of God, that he longs to pour out his goodness, and then we tune in. We tune in, we turn our ear. We're living a life with one ear heavenward, with one ear heavenbound. We say yes to him. We give him our attention. And in Ephesians 3, 17, it says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length and width and height and depth of his love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's how we should be living. That's his intention. 
We need to tear, tell fear where to go. And in 2 Timothy 1, 7, it's an amazing verse as well. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It's not a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of fear he's given us. It's power. It's love. Self-discipline. We need to decide to do these things. We need to be disciplined to do them. We need to choose love. We need to lean into love to do these good things. So we come into land, the fear that the enemy loves to whisper into our ear. Coupled with faith, unlocks miracles in God's kingdom. When he speaks, he just wants our obedience. He wants our yes. He wants us to bring our little, whatever that looks like, as silly and ridiculous as it is, We bring it to Jesus, the God of miracles, who can turn water into the best wine. And he has the best for us. It's not just our best, like, oh, that'll do. They won't notice because they've had the best wine earlier. No, he doesn't work like that. He gives us the fullness of God. He has abundantly more for us. We need to come. Some of us maybe need to come and just fill ourselves again with his goodness. Amen. Why don't we stand?